0: We oh, gotta do a remix, right? this is mad, I get more butt than ass traits the fair one, I get mine the fast way. Ski mass way and the ransom note far from handsome, but damn I get a tote much. More guns than roses, foes welcome to EFS MVP. Daily Fantasy Sports, most valuable podcast presented by 444 4 Football. I'm 444's senior DFS editor, Chris Raybon, joined as always by my co-host, my partner in crime, Mr. TJ Hernandez. What's going on, TJ?
1: What's up, Chris? Uh, just getting ready for week three, man. We, we're like officially deep in the flow now. So, uh, ready to, to talk some week three with you and, and hopefully drop some money making knowledge on everybody.
0: Oh yeah, we got a lot to talk about. Our DFS Theory segment will be on bankroll, bankroll management, and all that good stuff. Of course, we have all of the positional picks to get into first, and the music that played us in was the Flavor In Your Ear remix, Craig Mack, featuring the Notorious B.I.G., LL Cool J, Buster Rhymes, and Rampage off uh, the 1994 project Funk The World. That is a classic song. A lot of those artists, that was even before they were really big, so really good song. Check it out. Flavor In Your Ear, remix, Craig Mack, Notorious Big, LL Buster Rampage. Let's get right into this promotion that we have going on still if you've been listening the last week or two um you know we've been doing the rate and review promotion thank you to all you guys who have been rating and reviewing dfs mvp on itunes if you rate and review dfs mvp and send a screenshot to dfs mvp at 444.com. You can get 25% off your 4, for four DFS subscription. And I think you're really going to want to do it. Um, just looking back at some of our new value metrics, uh, we have a new value metric and we have a new... Uh, We have we project a player's percentage odds to hit cash game value and GPP value, and if you read my Ray Bonds review column the last couple of weeks, you know that when you look at the winning lineups in the DraftKings Millie Maker and in the FanDuel Sunday Million, a lot of those players are top projected odds or top three top five top seven projected um gpp odds at their respective position um so a lot of good stuff in the four for four dfs subscription we're doing positional breakdowns for every position now Uh, tj does a slate breakdown i do a slate breakdown so a lot of good stuff in that four for four dfs uh rate and review the podcast on itunes send a screenshot to dfs mvp at four for four dot com for 25 off a dfs sub tj quarterbacks week three who you got quarterback
1: yeah uh, before i get into cousins i just want to reiterate the the leverage score and the the gpp and and cash odds i'm always trying to evolve my process every year uh i always want to look back on the previous year and and think i I wasn't a good player and that's been a big uh step forward in my process using those metrics so uh be sure to check those out but uh jumping into quarterbacks that we don't have as many games, uh, this week as last week that just really stand out, uh, the, the slate, little tough, pricing's a little tight, but there's one game with a really big over-under, and that's the, uh, Redskins and Raiders, gonna be Sunday night game in Washington. Uh, Washington is a three point home dog, but that's a, a relatively close spread for such a high over under. So we, we should see quite a bit of scoring on both sides. And I'm going to go ahead and take the discount in that game and go with Kirk Cousins at 7,900 on Fandle, 6,100 on DraftKings. He's priced pretty significantly below, uh, car in that game, but I, I, do like this Washington passing game still despite their early season struggles. I, I like their core of, uh, Crowder and, and Pryor and hopefully Reed plays. I, I know he, uh, mispracticed today with the chest injury, but if we look at, everything Cousins has going in his favor. Uh, we, I mentioned that relatively cheap price for what's expected to be a really high scoring game. He is our top four for four value on FanDuel. He's a top two value on DraftKings. And uh, in terms of raw fantasy points allowed, Oakland's allowed uh, the eighth most points to quarterbacks. Some of that has been game script and, and rushing in week one to Mariota. Uh, but as I mentioned, with this game total and and how I think this game set, sets up, I think we'll see a similar flow in then uh Terrell Pryor came out today and said that uh he's going to start dominating and it starts this week with Oakland so if there's one thing you could take to the bank it's it's player quotes i suppose uh Rob Kelly out this week, so I think the, that the Redskins uh, go a little more pass-heavy than they have the first couple games. Last year, they were very pass-heavy. They've been really pass-heavy uh, ever since Gruden uh came over to Washington, and it looks like Chris Thompson's their best running back, so that sets up for even more passing uh than we might expect otherwise, so I really like Cousins in this shootout spot.
0: Yeah, I, I love Cousins this week. I think pretty much Every one of his, uh, his pass catchers has a, a plus matchup. Terrell Pryor will probably run a lot of routes on David Amerson. David Amerson's giving up, uh, over 20 yards in the air. Per reception already this season, um, you have you have the tight end whether it be Jordan Reed or Vernon Davis on the Oakland linebackers who have also struggled in coverage. Tyrell Adams nine catches, one hundred seventeen yards and a touchdown and only forty three snaps this year. So I think Cousins is going to have a lot of ways to get right in this game at home. I actually think Washington probably matches up better with Oakland than Oakland does with Washington. I think Washington has a good chance to to win this ball game. Uh my quarterback is Matt Stafford, seventy nine hundred on Fandle, sixty-two hundred on DraftKings. He's at home versus the Atlanta Falcons. And this game is a game that I think if it's if it's not the if it's not the the Redskins Raiders or another game I know we'll talk about a little later on I think this game probably has the the best odds of kind of going over that implied uh that game total which is currently at 50 and a half it opened at 49 and a half the Lions only 3 point uh underdogs against the the Falcons so that's essentially the home field uh, I mean that's a um the, the Lions are aren't aren't you know too bad too big of a home underdog mm-hmm. there so uh, I think Matt Stafford is going to really kill in this matchup because... For one, Atlanta is without their best pass rusher and Vic Beasley, and that's big. And that's something that I think we talked about this last week with the Vegas lines being off. And we also, you know, just in general with projections and and things like that, I think one thing that always gets overlooked is, you know, line play and a pass rush and how that's going to affect the game. You know, we saw in week one where the Jaguars defense ended up being a top play because Houston's left tackle, Dwayne Brown, was out. So I think without Vic Beasley, the Falcons aren't going to get much of a pass rush. And Matthew Stafford's actually been, uh, fourth in quarterback rating when he's had a clean pocket, but he's also been, he's third in quarterback rating when under pressure this year. So he's just been killing it. He's tied for the league lead in passing touchdowns. And this is a game where I think he's going to be, have time to throw the ball, get the ball out. He's, go, Desmond Trufon is a tough matchup for, Probably Marvin Jones, maybe Kenny Galladay, but you're going to have Golden Tate on the slot in a slot. You're going to have Theo Riddick. You know, the Falcons always give up a ton of production to running backs. You're going to have Robert Alford, who's been one of the most targeted corners along with Poole in the league. Tate's going to run routes at him as well. Um, you got Eric Ebron uh, against the, the Falcons linebackers and they give up a lot of production as well. So I think Stafford has a lot of different avenues, uh, to hit value here and really smash in what could be a potential shootout and the fact that you're getting them at home against a team down their best pass rusher that can still put up a lot of points on the other side you know Lions defense hasn't been tested as much Carson Palmer had a really tough game in week one turning the ball over and then we know what's going on with the Giants they just can't really move the ball or uh, protect the quarterback so I think this game sneak not even a sneaky shootout probable shootout and Matthew Stafford at home very very affordable price on both sites.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, some people might, at least some, some box score watchers might look at Detroit and be a little bit weary because their numbers were, were good last week, but not great, but they were ultra efficient, uh, against mm-hmm. the Giants and they just pretty much had that game in hand. So the second half, they just stopped throwing the ball. I mean, I think if, if that game was close, Stafford could have threw for four touchdowns and they could have put up some big numbers in that game. But if you watch the game, it makes sense that their numbers weren't astronomical, but, uh, I, I just really like everything this offense is doing right now. And I think that uh, I I think I I said it, I don't know if it was on this pod, but Stafford's one of my favorites before the season to lead the league in touchdown passes.
0: Yeah, I think you did say that. And I mean, he's when you just look at how quarterbacks are playing through the first two weeks, I think Stafford is playing as good as if not better than every other quarterback in the league. And I think the the numbers under pressure specifically uh, really bear that out. We got a running back. Running back.
1: Yeah, so moving on to running back. Uh I'm gonna go straight to the top of pricing this week and look at Le'Veon Bell. I know a lot of people are a little bit underwhelmed with what he's done the first two weeks. Uh a lot of people or most people that play redraft drafted him as a top one or two player. Uh but what I saw last week is that the Steelers got back to that usage that we're used to. So yes, he's expensive. Eighty seven hundred on Fandle, eighty eight hundred on DraftKings, but we have Quite a few players up in that pricing range now. Uh, we got Jay Ajayi and then, uh, Kareem Hunt. So, I mean, if you're gonna pay up, why not pay up for the guy that we know has been, uh, one of the, the most used players in the league. And week one coming off of that, uh, that off season holdout, he went from 72% of the snaps in week one to 92% of the snaps in week two. He uh, saw 56.4% of Pittsburgh's touches last week, which is the second highest of any running back through two weeks. Fournette had a little bit higher in week one, but that's what we've come to expect from Le'Veon. I think people probably don't uh, notice and aren't looking at the numbers very closely that he saw that huge percentage of, of team touches because his numbers weren't fantastic. Uh, and I, I think you said something on Twitter about him getting fewer wide receiver snaps, but he's still seen 92% of the snaps, still averaging five targets per game, which is pretty darn good for a running back. And then we uh, look at what we talked about at the top of the show, those leverage scores, uh, odds to hit cash and GPP uh, uh, value. And Le'Veon is on both sites. He is 4 for 4's top odds to hit cash and GPP value. Not at running back. Overall, both game types, both sites. So uh really good spot here. Pittsburgh's a seven-point favorite. And... Chicago is okay against running backs. I think people, I even heard this going, uh, going into last week. Chicago's this great run defense, a really good run defense. Uh, they're okay. They, they rank, uh, I think 13th in fantasy points allowed to running backs through, through two weeks and raw fantasy points are always a little tricky to deal with. Uh, but. Still, I talked about this last week with Jarrell Freeman out that that defensive front is going to see a bit of a hit and I didn't see quite what I expected from quiz last week, but he still had a decent game. And obviously, Le'Veon's a little bit shiftier of a running back than Jaquiz Rogers. Uh, don't have a ton of confidence in the Steelers offensive line, but I think it's good enough to get the job done this week uh, as big favorites at home.
0: Yeah, and I think what really goes overlooked with when you talk about run defenses and, and run defense strength, what goes overlooked a lot of time is the the defense's scheme and their game plan. It, Chicago has a strong defensive front, a strong front seven, but we also know Vic Fangio, he plays cover two, which means two safeties deep. Um, that, that's his yep. main scheme to defend the passing game. And it's why a lot of number one wide receivers have struggled against Chicago recently, um, because they, they tend to always keep that safety, those safeties on both sides of the field, both sides of the field. They switched it up a little bit last week because they had to pay a lot of attention to Deshaun Jackson. Um, Mike Evans got off a little bit, but, in this matchup, when you have Antonio Brown and Martavis Bryant, both receivers who can threaten deep, and Ben Roethlisberger, one of the best deep throwers and one of the most frequent deep throws in the league, I think they're going to leave two safeties back on pretty much almost every play unless it's like a 3rd and short or something. And when when that happens, Ben Roethlisberger is going to audible into a run play. And if you look back at Chicago even last season when they didn't allow too much production of running backs, um the the the, the games in which they faced a a pretty good quarterback that had a down at least one downfield threat Were the games where and a, and, a, and a good running back obviously Were the games where they gave up um the most production you know they gave up 16 carries uh, 162 yards and a and two touchdowns to Ty Montgomery in week 16 um the week before that they gave up about 170 yards and two touchdowns to the Redskins running backs you know cousins you know had, had had that 4,900 passing yards and Deshaun Jackson was there um and then they also gave up uh, 140 yards t- to, Zeke Elliott all the way back in week three. And you know, Dak Prescott, Des Bryant, and, you know, so th- so they have a, they have struggled against, against teams or not struggled, but they've, they've, they've given up production to running backs in situations where they have to guard against those, those deep balls. So I think this will be. Uh, another one of those situations um, for my running back. I'm going with Ty Montgomery. He is uh 6,900 on DK 7,200 on Fanduel, and he's averaging 19.5 touches, 101.5 yards and, and 1.5 touchdowns per game. But most importantly, he's playing 88% of the snaps and the Bengals defense is allowing a league high 40 backfield touches per game. So this could be another high volume game for Ty Montgomery, Green Bay is a large home favorite, nine points as of this recording. So we have the home favorite running back um, that we always look for. And not only that, but Montgomery's pretty game script independent at this point because he catches short passes. And even if Green Bay's offensive line is still struggling and they're still banged up, Montgomery is still going to catch passes because that's what you kind of want to do to offset that, that offensive line. Uh, struggling is you throw quick passes to somebody like Montgomery and the fact that Martellus Bennett the tight end is a much better blocker at this stage than Ty Montgomery means. If the line is struggling, they're more likely to just leave Bennett or their other tight end, Lance Kendricks, in the block than Montgomery. So I think Montgomery has a pretty high floor and a lot of upside this week. And last week, we probably, even though he scored the two touchdowns, I think last week was more, we saw more of his downside because he only got 17 uh-huh. touches. Um, that was mostly due to the fact that Green Bay was playing a very strong Offense that, you know, ended up kind of dominating the game and, and putting Green Bay in a position where, 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 where they, they didn't have the ball for as long as they might usually. And, you know, that combined with the offensive line struggles kind of hit the mid game and a lot of just things came together so that Montgomery was only able to get 17 touches. But now you're going to face a Bengals offense that just fired their OC and they're scoring an average of 4.5 points per game. So, uh, I think really good spot for, uh, Time on in week two.
1: Yeah, you you mentioned his snaps, uh, and if we just look at the overall backfield shares, uh, kind of talking about the opposite of running back by committee, Tymont's seen eighty-seven percent of Green Bay's backfield touches. Only a Jai Hunt Bell and Zeke are seen more. So, uh, that's obviously a really elite company. We know Green Bay doesn't, uh, necessarily run that much, but they use him in more ways than just running. You and I were talking off air about how, uh, some people might look to, uh, banged up offensive line. I think, I think Green Bay was out two offensive linemen last week. It looks like they're going to be again this week, but, uh, you were mentioning that if there's a running back to overcome that, it's timeout because of the ways they use him.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I think it's pretty safe play. Um, only thing that could probably slow him down is injury or you know maybe a huge bot. I mean, they don't really have much behind him. They have all rookies. You know, Jamal Williams gets snaps here and there, but we know the Packers don't really like to put um inexperienced players out there with with Aaron Rodgers in that backfield. So um, they, they're going to stick with Montgomery for the most part. Uh, who you got a wide receiver? We're doing it a little different this week, by the way. We're gonna do a we're gonna do a top Fanduel play and then a top DraftKings play since um, we always do. two two anyway and the pricing is usually a lot different between sites and there's just different kind of receivers you usually want to target on diff- on these two sites because of the scoring differences so um we're gonna start just doing a top fan play and a top dk play so who you got tj wide receiver
1: yeah, uh, I'm going to stay in that Green Bay game. You mentioned talking about Tymont that uh the the Packers are going to like that short quick passing game and I think that's going to be really effective in how they're going to go about playing this Bengals defense which has a a pretty good secondary and it looks like Randall Cobb is likely to play. Uh He underwent an MRI, but I think Jordy's going to be out and in all likelihood Cobb's going to play. So assuming Randall Cobb plays uh, 6,400 on FanDuel, he saw 31% of the Packers targets in week one, and then he barely played two-thirds of the snaps in week two. And what ended up happening was... Martellus Bennett ended up with 11 targets with Jordy and Cobb out. And I think that, uh, kind of builds on what we're talking about. That short, quick passing game. The problem was Martellus Bennett was ve- very inefficient with those targets. I think he had 40 some odd yards. And then I, I just mentioned. The Green Bay offensive line kind of banged up. If anything, Bennett is probably going to stay in a block a little bit more because of that. And, uh, that, that goes right back to Cobb getting more of those short, quick targets. So I think Tymont and Cobb see a ton of targets in this game. Uh, we know Green Bay's pass heavy. They're the third most pass heavy team in, uh, game neutral situations. And then if you just look at, at the raw data, Cincinnati looks really good in fantasy points allowed. They're the best in the league, but in week one Baltimore didn't have to throw because they were smoking the Bengals. I think they only attempted 16 passes in that game. And then last week they were facing a rookie quarterback that don't really have, and a Houston team that doesn't really have any weapons outside of Hopkins, but Hopkins actually ended up with a decent game. I think he had like a 7 for 75 line. Uh, So I I like Cobb on Fandle. I think he's really affordable. And then moving over to DraftKings, a little bit more of a a stretch here, but I, I think a really nice GPP play. Maybe even cash game. I haven't built too many cash lineups yet, uh, but salaries are tight. Eric Decker's $4,000 on DraftKings, and anytime I have a chance to tout Eric Decker, I'm going to tout Eric Decker. Uh Corey Davis is out. Decker's seen at least 20% of Tennessee's targets in the first two uh, in the first two weeks, they're playing Seattle, who is a good defense. But if they do struggle, it's typically with those interior receivers. Uh, speaking of Randall Cobb, he went for uh, nine for 85 on 13 targets against Seattle in week one. That was with Jeremy Lane out. Lane got ejected really early in that game. But if we go over, look at player profile, um, player profiler, I'm sorry. Uh, Lane has been the, the Seahawks worst cornerback in terms of both target rate and fantasy points per target through the first couple games and Decker's a top two leverage score on DraftKings this week. And what that leverage score basically tells us is if we look at, uh, Expected ownership and then what Chris calculates is how far a player should be owned. He's one of the players that we probably want to be overweight on. Just, uh, given that he's going to see an uptick in targets, we know he is a, a very formidable red zone threat. And then we go right back to those value reports. He's a top six ceiling value on DraftKings. So I think he's a player to look at over on DK.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think, I think he has to turn it around at some point. I mean, he's, he's struggled, um, uh, Mm -hmm. throughout, throughout the first two games. Um, I wonder if it's just some rust, but yeah, he's a big opportunity with, uh, Corey Davis out. Uh, for wide receivers on DraftKings, I got, Tyrell Williams, it's interesting. I don't know if too many people will be on him this week, but if you look at again, you know, that, that player profile cornerback data, um, we know that Williams is going to run two thirds of his routes at Terrence Mitchell. And Philip Gaines, Terrence Mitchell is the outside corner for Casey, and he's second in the league in targets allowed. So teams have been targeting him 19 times already this season through two weeks. And then Philip Gaines is a slot corner. And combined, those players have allowed 7.5 catches for 135.5 yards and a touchdown uh, per game over the first two weeks of the season. So yeah, sure. Keenan Allen's going to catch a lot of balls and, and that's, that, that's, that's not going to change, but Tyrell Williams is a guy who is going to have a, a, the matchup in his favor. We saw what he could do last year. Even in a quiet season, he still had 54 yards uh, in each game so far. And at 4,600, he has a lot of upside, uh, in, in a great matchup with, with a pretty strong quarterback throwing to him. And then on FanDuel, Uh, I'm looking at AJ Green. He's 7,500, and and that's his lowest price since the uh, 2012 season. And you know, AJ, even with as much as Cincinnati has been struggling, you know, I mentioned they have nine points in two games. They got shut out in Week One. AJ still has five catches and 67 or more yards in both of those games. With Dalton and the O line struggling mightily, you know, AJ complained about the offensive coordinator Ken Zampezi not being able to to get him the ball um, enough and now Zampezi has been fired already after two weeks Bill Lazor is the new offensive coordinator um, very well-respected passing game mind I think in this game, I think they're going to feed AJ and you just have to take advantage of that salary on FanDuel. We know pretty much every wide receiver, there's no short things at wide receiver. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's the tough, it's a tough position to, to kind of predict and there's a lot of variance there. So especially on FanDuel, you want to kind of take your shots with these high upside wide receivers that can, that can do a lot of different things that can get the ball deep and that can score touchdowns and whatever not. We know Tyler Eifert's a little banged up. And I think we talked about this back in week one, but Green Bay has three corners ranked in the bottom had three corners ranked in the bottom 11 in pass rating allowed uh, a season ago, all three of their starters. And that's already kind of come to, to, to roost this year where Green Bay's allowing, uh, 68% of their receptions and 87% of their receiving yards, um, have gone to uh, opposing wide receivers that Green Bay's allow. So that's a pretty huge number. And, you know, AJ Green really primed to, to take advantage of that in a game where, the Bengals are probably going to have to score points because as we, we talked about, the Packers, some of the Packers players have some good matchups. They're in Lambeau. Um, you you kind of have to count on Aaron Rodgers and the Packers putting up at least, you know, 20, 25 points there. So um, AJ Green could be in, in for a, a high volume game.
1: Yeah, I like both of those calls. I, I think so many times we're so excited for the season to start and people forget everything that all the work we did in the offseason goes out the window so quickly and sometimes that's justified but I, I still think you have to do you still have to kind of put things in context the Bengals started with uh, such a brutal schedule in terms of defense they face and yeah their offensive line is bad but last year they were one of the most efficient offenses in terms of moving the ball yards per drive and how often they reach the red zone they just struggled to find the end zone last year and uh, AJ Green's still great Tyler Eifert is a little banged up but I think this is a really classic case of pricing being reflective of results rather than what's going to happen in the upcoming week. So a really great spot to exploit. And then Tyrell Williams, he was a main red zone target for the Chargers last year. And we haven't seen that much yet, but they were trying to get Antonio Gates that record. And then Hunter Henry's barely been playing any snaps, less than 50% of snaps. So I think we could still see Tyrell end up being a huge red zone target for Rivers uh, starting this week
0: definitely uh, let's move on to the tight ends uh who are you looking at there tight end yeah
1: uh a guy that I really like this week is Jared cook uh I, I don't think he's gonna be a chalky play but I think he is uh a good value and could have a decent ceiling this week in a possible shootout, like I mentioned when I was talking about Kirk Cousins, the Raiders and and the Redskins on Sunday night. Uh, Very affordable, $5,200 on FanDuel, $3,100 on DraftKings. If you filter for both floor and ceiling projections on 4 for 4, Jared Cook's actually the top value for both uh, on DraftKings. He's priced as a tight end 18, but he's priced in the top 10 both floor and ceiling projections. So uh, that means he has, uh, he, he does have a kind of a wide range of outcomes, but his floor is high enough to make him a viable cash play. No tight end price below $5,000 has better odds of hitting cash value this week. And then uh, he's seen five plus targets in each of his two games as a Raider, uh, 22% of the team targets last week. So uh, that's that's pretty decent volume for a tight end. Usually six or more is is going to be approaching that elite tier. So five or six per game is pretty decent. And then Washington came into the year, ranked bottom five versus tight ends and adjusted fantasy points allowed. Uh, we don't adjust that number until we get a few weeks of data, but uh, not much has changed on that defense. And, and I think that uh, if Cook does see a slight uptick in red zone targets, which uh, he, he's only has one so far this year, uh, he could definitely be a ceiling play as well as a floor floor play in week three.
0: Yeah, definitely. I tweeted about this, but the Raider uh the Redskins, excuse me, their cornerbacks, Josh Norman and Bashad Brewin, have been very good, allowing about a fifty five percent catch rate, but the linebackers and safeties, thirty one targets, twenty six completions, double digit yards per target. So I think Oakland is going to look to attack with the middle of the field players in this game. I think it's going to be Jared Cook. I think you're going to see a lot of Jalen Rashard and to a lesser extent, uh, DeAndre Washington as well in this game. I know a lot of people will be on Crabtree and perhaps Cooper's contrarian play even just because of the high total. But I actually think that for value, Cook and and, and some of the passing game options and Marshawn Lynch even just running the ball mm-hmm. will be kind of the the main Game planned uh, ways to attack that the Raiders will be looking at. Uh, For tight ends, I got Zach Ertz and I think people may shy away from him a bit just because his price is up there now. He's 6,500 on Fandle, 5k on DraftKings. However, even with that elevated price tag, he still is our top value at the tight end position on both sites. And on DraftKings, he's got over a point advantage over any other tight end on the main slate. So really good spot for Zach Ertz. And I don't think people have really noticed how dominant Zach Ertz has become in fantasy. He's kind of turned into this Travis Kelsey like player. If you look at his last 11 games, he's caught at least five passes in nine of those games. That's amazing for a tight end. We don't even see that from some of the best wide receivers. He's got eight or more targets and five or more catches and 93 or more yards in each game this season. I know he did get lucky on a long play against Kansas City. So um, can't, can't read too much into that, but the bottom line is Zach Ertz has been extremely consistent and he's grown as Carson Wentz has grown, which is also a good sign and makes me think that the production is here to stay. I mean, we have 11 games where he's caught five or more balls and, you know, Carson Wentz, we see him growing. He's in his second year now. So. Really like Zach Ertz this week. He's, he's got massive upside as well. In addition to that floor, four career games with 10 or more catches for 110 or more yards. Those are also numbers that you just don't see tight ends putting on. I mean, 10 catches, double digit catches. He's got, he's got over a half dozen games with eight catches, just a lot of upside, high floor, and he's going against the Giants defense. They've given up at least five catches and a touchdown to the, Opposition starting tight end in both of their games this season. They were a bottom five team in terms of yards allowed to the tight end position last season. They simply punt the tight end, uh, excuse me, the linebacker position on defense because they deem it not as important as some of the other positions. We know the Giants spent a lot of money on pass rushers and cornerbacks, Jenkins, Olivier Vernon, guys like that. So their linebackers can be exploited in the passing game. And that's exactly what teams look to do. I think Janoris Jenkins will be back this week, which means a shadow situation for Alshon Jeffrey. And we know what happened in week one where Jeffrey ran a lot of his routes on Norman. I don't even think Norman shadowed him all the time, but a lot of his routes were on Norman and we saw Zach Ertz put up a big game. And I think that's going to happen again. And I think people will be off of him because there's so many other tight ends you can play in tournaments at cheaper prices. But I think Ertz could have a huge game again in week three.
1: Yeah, if we look at uh game neutral situations, which I've been talking about last year, that's basically when when the scores within a, a touchdown either way, meaning game script shouldn't be affecting play calling too much, these are the top two uh pass heavy teams in the league. So uh we could see uptick in plays, lots of passing. That obviously bodes really well for Ertz
0: right and the Giants are talking about going a little more up-tempo this week to jump start that offense so could be could be a a few more points than maybe we expect I still do like that Eagles defense and I know you do too Uh, talk about that defense
1: yeah i mean even if the the giants do go a little more up-tempo their their offensive line has been playing poorly and uh some of that has could be a reflection of eli manning making his offensive line look bad there's talk of them switching play callers so i mean the giants are just kind of in a mess, and I want to target uh, that situation this week. I think that a lot of people are going to look at the matchup with Patriots versus uh, the Texans, and That'll be a popular one to target, but the way pricing shakes out, I think you're going to need to find some places to save this week. You're not just going to be able to jam in the best matchups. So a little bit of a discount here, actually a lot of a discount. The Eagles are 4500 on uh, FanDuel and $3,000 on DraftKings. Six-point home favorites. The Giants have an implied point total under 19. And then something that you and I have been talking a lot about uh Off-air is how much people have been ignoring uh, line matchups or offensive line or defensive lines in terms of impacting the game and maybe even pricing in Vegas lines, not taking those factors into account. Uh, Football Outsiders does a really good job of, tracking lines and putting it into one metric for both rushing and passing. And one of the metrics they use is adjusted sack rate, which basically takes uh, pressure rate, uh, uh, hurries, uh, throwaways sacks and, and gives it one, uh, overarching arching number and philadelphia's defense ranks fourth best in adjusted sack rate while the giants rank uh 26th their offensive line in adjusted sack rate so a really positive matchup for philly as favorites and uh we've talked about it ad nauseum on this podcast teams that are winning that can get after the quarterback without uh, much regard for the run. And even if the giants aren't losing by a lot, aren't going to run a lot, that's where those fantasy points come from. And I think Eagles could hang a really nice number uh, in terms of fantasy points against the giants this week.
0: Yeah. The giants haven't scored. 20 points in the last eight games including the playoffs so you have some kind of floor there even if maybe things don't break right in terms of takeaways or sacks or something like that and you still kind of have that floor because it's going to be tough for the Giants to score either way and I think the Eagles will be pretty high owned just because I think a lot of people saw on Monday night what happened to the Giants but I don't really worry about ownership for defenses because yeah it's not that high scoring position. So I think you just need to go with the few defenses that you feel are the top options. I don't think you really need to reach for contrarian plays there. I think the position you're really trying to look for contrarian plays the most is wide receiver, just because it's so difficult to predict that a lot of other people are going to get it wrong. So just by avoiding some of the more popular plays, like we saw that play out with guys like Julio Jones or whatnot last week, you know, just avoiding that popular plays can put you in a good spot Uh, for kicker. I am going with Cairo Santos. He's 4,700. He's a road favorite and he's one of the rare kickers that has actually scored more points uh, throughout his career on the road than at home. Kansas City tends to have to settle for a few more field goals on the road than they do at home. You know, still a positive matchup for them and probably total around 25 points as of this recording. So. Cairo Santos, uh, pretty reliable kicker. I think he might also own the highest scoring kicking game of the last few years. He had like a 20-plus point game one week. I think it was last season or the season before. So should be a, a solid play in week three. Football fans listen up it's not too late to download the highest rated fantasy football app draft play in a real live snake draft but be done in under five minutes and they last for just one week drafts start every couple of minutes so you can join one right now for week three and the best part you can play for cold hard cash and get this your chances of winning are 80 percent better than the salary cap sites all new players get a free entry into a real money draft when you make your first deposit but you have to use promo code four for four that's right play a real money game for free just by using the promo code 444. That's the number four the letters, F-O-R, and the number four. And it gets even better. Draft is so sure that you'll love it that they're even offering the most, uh, excuse me, DFS MVP listeners uh, money-back guarantee up to $100. Just search Draft in your app store. Go to draft.com and come play for free right now with promo code 444. Let's get into our DFS theory segment on bank role management and game selection and we'll start out just talk about some of the basics and that's kind of how you want to allocate your your bank role you know in in terms of what what kind of contest you're playing but tj i know we should start off by just how how should somebody even view their bank role like their what's the actual size of their bank role is it just the money they have on the site or or what is it
1: yeah. So past listeners of DFS MVP have probably heard us talk about, uh, both bankroll and game selection and podcast together, podcast separately. But I, I think it's really important to address at the beginning of every season, just because we probably have new listeners. We definitely get people that are new to DFS. And I mean, when you log into four for four, you log into one of the DFS lobbies, it could be overwhelming. And you hear all these terms thrown around cash game, GPP, bankroll. And it just, What do you play? How do you even figure out how much to play? And I... So I can't reiterate it enough how many people through uh one-on-one coaching or talking to friends or even talking to other uh, people in the industry, just lose money because of bad bankroll management. You can put up very profitable lineups, but if you're managing your bankroll wrong, you're just not going to win money. I've, I, I used to play poker for a living. I use that term loosely, but I did make money playing poker and uh, DFS isn't that different. You have to be able to manage your bankroll one To make money, and two, just so you don't go bust. If you want, if if you don't have any money left, you can't keep playing. Uh, So, one thing that I think people do wrong is how they look at their bankroll, and uh, this can really cause people to forfeit a lot of upside because I think a lot of people think about their bankroll in terms of uh, their initial deposit or how much they have on the site. So, if you start week one and you deposit $100, your bankroll is not necessarily $100. Your bankroll, assuming you are able to replenish is either how much you can allocate for the entire season or another way to look at it is what can you afford to replenish on on a weekly or monthly level, whatever it might be. So if that $100 is what you could replenish each week, then you should be Managing your bankroll in such a way that your bankroll is $1,700, assuming you play all 17 weeks, uh, even if you are depositing every week, because you want to maximize the number of games you're playing. Obviously, you want to, you want to make more money when you're winning, uh, and you want to manage your bankroll in such a way that you could maximize your upside. So I think that is where people need to start and then once they, they have that set number in mind, uh, then they can get into some of the basics of, of bankroll strategy and, one of the kind of generic pieces of advice for people starting out for DFS is uh, the 80-20-10 rule, which means uh the 80-20-10, 80 is how much you put in cash games. So 80% of your money in play for the week in cash games, 20 is the percent you have in GPPs, and then 10 is your overall bankroll uh, that you're going to put in play. So again, I mentioned that 1700 number. If you could replenish 100 every week, that means about $170 uh, in play each week there, that's just the, the kind of the starting point. Um, that should vary depending on, on a couple of things, w- what your goals are and, and the size of your bankroll. If the bigger your bankroll is in general, you should play a smaller percentage, uh, obviously just because you're, you're putting a lot more at risk. And then also your goals. I mean, if you're somebody that. Uh, has proven to be a profitable player and your main source of income is DFS. That's obviously pretty hard to do if you just play football, but if football is just the starting point for your year long DFS, uh, you should be a little more conservative. Whereas if you're a new player that can replenish that $100 every week and, and, uh, is you're just kind of looking to, to hit a, a big score, but you're not necessarily worried about grinding out a 20% ROI, then it's okay to slant more towards gpps maybe even play more of your bankroll in a given week knowing that there's a really really good chance that you uh might not make any money uh over the course of the season because that's another aspect to it nfl season theoretically is only 17 trials i mean you could play different slates and different lineups uh but even so you only get so many chances so uh the way I look at it is a full season of NFL is only two weeks of, of baseball DFS. And there's very, very good players that go two weeks without winning in, in baseball. And uh, the games and variants are a little bit different, but it's, it's very possible that a profitable player in NFL doesn't win money over the course of an entire season, because that's how much variance uh, there is within that game. So that's just kind of uh uh, the starting point, uh, we'll, we'll get in deeper into, uh, some of the theory of how to deviate from these things and, and when you might play certain games, how many lineups you might play, but, uh, that's a starting point. And Chris, I know you've written stuff, uh, on this very extensively at 444, so any comments you want to make, uh, just from, from the basics or the starting point of bankroll.
0: Yeah. I mean, first of all, I think you brought up a great point. It's just, you don't have to look at your bankroll as only the money you have on the site. I think, especially if you're a new player, you might start, you know, say, Hey, I only deposited this much and maybe I made, you know, I got lucky in week one or two and I made, and now I'm up this much and, and that's my bankroll. And you don't really have to look at it like that. You're, and you don't have to keep all your bankroll on the site. I mean, there's obviously you can get an ROI front for your money that you're not going to have in play by putting it in some other type of maybe a savings account or any other investing it in some other type of safe vehicle in the meantime so you don't especially if you're playing with a large bankroll but even if you're playing with a small one you don't have to think of it as the money as what you have on the site and you don't have to keep it all on the site you can kind of be shifting things around um you know even if if you lose some money and you go down to zero with the money you played for that week you just if your bankroll is not on the site you just deposit back in from whatever uh account you have it in um as, as one as it's liquid so i think that's the first thing and then you, you mentioned the trials and i think that's a, a also important where if you're just playing the main slate each week you're only playing in 17 trials or, or whatever but i think you have to look a lot more at playing in some of the smaller slates maybe the primetime slate and the reason being is that if you're if you care enough about dfs to be listening to a podcast like this then you're probably in the minority of People playing on, especially the, the prime time slate, the Monday to Thursday or, or the Sunday night, Monday night slates, because a lot of people that play those slates, they either see the commercials and they, they, they just want to kind of get some action, you know, just like a lot of betters do. And when, when they just want to get some action on the game, just do it recreationally. And I think there's a lot more recreational DFS players in these uh, small slates, especially the prime time ones. And you can really exploit ownership that way just by if you if you get a tip that you know maybe a certain player you have a strong feeling about a certain player sometimes that's all you need to really tilt things in your direction and have a really profitable slate because the ownership is very concentrated on a few players and because of that the lineup construction is also very similar where there's everyone's kind of making variations of the same two or three lineups so if you're looking to kind of increase your safety while playing more dfs but not blowing all your money i think small slates is a good place to start um, because let's say you have a, a player that maybe you're you're playing in main slate tournaments and you have a good feeling about that player but he does well but it's just not good enough for whatever reason to to win a or maybe even cash in a main slate tournament he might be the difference maker in a, a small slate like i know a player that i liked last week was uh, Bob. Both tight ends in the Giants Lions game, Ingram and, and Ebron. And those, they didn't really put up enough points to make a, a dent in the Sunday Monday slate necessarily because you had guys like Jason Witten really go off. And, but if you were playing on that short slate where a lot of people just went with Hooper and, and Bennett instead on that Sunday Monday night game, you had a major advantage going with Ebron or, or Ingram. And those guys are both uh, in this, in the, Contests I played anyway, usually under 20% owned, which is very low for a slate with only four games. So I think when you're thinking about your bankroll, definitely try to increase those those trials so that you level out your your sample size a little bit. And you're not prone to as much variance as if you're only playing one slate every week. And if you have a bad week on that main slate and you don't hit on a couple of the right plays or you have high exposure to a couple of the wrong plays, it really could sink you.
1: Yeah, uh, another note on playing those smaller slates. There was a concept early in the DFS days called uh, Free Money Tuesdays for those that played MLB DFS. And and basically what used to happen is... uh, Main slates used to run through Monday and payouts weren't till Tuesday. Uh, so you would have people getting money into their account, uh, and throwing it in MLB DFS without really having proper training in that game. Or vice versa, you get people that, that, uh, lost and they're chasing their losses. This was a similar thing that used to happen a lot in uh, online poker when people would play uh, when there was big tournaments running on Sundays people would get knocked out early and that would spill over to the cash games that is now with main slates being on Sunday people know very quickly if their team is going to be losing and chasing losses in any uh, arena where there's money at stake people are going to be chasing their losses and you mentioned the recreational players that's going to happen by by the time that prime time game rolls around there's going to be a lot of people that are looking to get some action because they had a bad Sunday morning and afternoon. And and you'll see uh, some really, really bad lineups in both prime time or or Monday through Thursday slates, whatever it might be, those shorter slates. You're going to see people that just don't know how to attack those games. That's a really profitable spot. Um, But kind of continuing on that line of thought, especially in terms of uh, allocating money to those GPPs, one thing you should think about when you're allocating that money we mentioned starting with that 80 20 10 rule if if you are somebody that is uh more going to slant towards gpps you should kind of think of your money allocation just kind of think of it as a as a slider an interactive slider as that slider goes more towards gpp heavy volume you should be playing less of your total bankroll so if you start with that 80 20 10 uh but you decide you want to do something like a A 70-30 split, maybe you just drop down to 9% of your bankroll because... GPPs are just inherently more volatile. So you're going to have bigger swings, uh, the more GPPs you're playing. And that's obviously going to vary depending on, on the field size. And I'm going to get to that shortly, but that's, uh, kind of a basic premise you should be thinking about. Again, it's, it's going to vary a little bit, uh, depending on, on your exact strategy and your overall bankroll, but just kind of keep that in the back of your mind. As you play more GPPs, you should decrease your overall volume and, uh, how people deviate from their game plan is is also very important. I, I think people get a couple things wrong, and and Chris, I know you've talked about this before, how to stay consistent and you shouldn't stay consistent in your money in play. So if you start with like the $170 I talked about, you shouldn't automatically play $170 the next week. You should be playing uh a consistent percentage of money in play. So if you have a really bad week and your bankrolls down to fifteen hundred or whatever it might be or, or sixteen hundred, uh then you should be playing say ten percent of that. And to the same note, if if you have a huge week and your bankroll goes up to two thousand dollars Uh, you should be playing 10% of that 2000. Don't stick to that 170 because you're going to not only cost yourself upside, uh, but you're also going to put yourself at at more risk, uh, if your bankroll is shrinking and you're playing more than you should be. And there are some times where you can slightly deviate from the plan outside of just playing more GPPs. A couple that really stand out to me are, um, when pricing is either very tight or very loose and this has been a point of contention year after year for me i see it all the time especially on twitter or something like that where if pricing's really tight you'll see people say it's hard to make lineups i'm gonna play less and if pricing's loose i can make really good lineups i'm gonna play more that's wrong it should be completely the opposite if pricing's tight and it's hard for somebody like us or someone that's listening to a podcast to make lineups, imagine how hard it is for people that aren't going through the proper steps. So your edge is theoretically increased. It is increased, not just theoretically, it is increased because of that tighter of pricing. Loose pricing, it becomes closer to a pick'em game. You're basically just hoping that whatever st- everyone could throw in studs with loose pricing, and you're hoping that your stud slightly outscores uh the next stud. And usually it's it's easy to tier players, but it's really hard to distinguish who's going to outscore players within that tier, and that's why that tight pricing uh, is good for the skilled players because we can usually pinpoint those tiers pretty easily, and when it turns into that pseudo pick game that I'm talking about, There's more variance. So you should be playing probably less of your total bankroll and slightly more GPPs back to that slider analogy. So that's a point I'm always trying to drive home to people. But I think when people get wrong a lot of the time.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. I think the, the main, the big thing you hit on too is just keep that percentage consistent because I at least try to keep it consistent. If if you're going to grow it, grow it methodically and small. Don't just play 20% one week and 30% the next and 15 the next because if you're you're not going to beat you're not going to time it right every time and what's going to end up happening as tj said is you're going to cost yourself upside because you you might end up not playing as high a percentage as you should have been when you have a good week and you could be playing a high percentage during a bad week and if it, just one of those can really put a dent in your bankroll or cost you a lot of upside if you time it wrong so um, i think that's a really important point to make there any uh any other thoughts tj before we get out of here
1: yeah just just a couple in terms of uh selecting your your head-to-heads or cash games um and gpps i think people hear the term cash game they don't really know how they should approach it and there there's some pretty uh hard and fast rules that you can follow that will at least uh help you dictate depending on your bankroll uh what you should be doing so if I'm going to be playing head to heads or if I want to be playing head to heads, I basically want to be able to be playing uh, 30 games per buy-in level. So say I have, if I've I don't want to put that in 2 or $5 head-to-heads. I want to put that in $1 head-to-heads. And the reason I want to approach that 30 number is because uh, that's basically the uh, statistical number where you'll start to see a natural distribution over a random sample of numbers. And I know that might sound confusing, but basically what that means is if you play about 30 opponents, then your score is going to fall pretty much where it should um, in the curve. So if you have a, a 75th percentile score, when you get to 30 opponents, you should start winning about 75% of your games. Now think about that if you're only playing one or two head-to-heads. You can have a 75th percentile score, but you can easily run into a lineup in the eighty or 90th percentile. Uh, and that makes those head-to-heads very uh, high variance if you can only play a couple. Now, if your bankroll doesn't allow you to do that, then it makes sense to play 50-50s or double ups. Uh, I encourage people to go look for those single entry 50-50s or double ups. Otherwise, uh, th- this is a little more complex, but basically you get people that max enter those games and the game essentially doesn't become a double up anymore because you get a couple people that max enter with the same lineup and uh you're just, you're not going up against half the, or you're not going up against as many individual lineups as entries. Uh So you want to look for their single entry ones because then you are going to, again, face a more natural distribution of scores. And I think that in general, those 50-50s are going to be a little safer because double-ups, you do double your money, but there's less of the fields being paid out. And in general, there's higher rake in those double-ups. So if you're just kind of looking for uh, safer cash games, you want to play 50-50s. And instead of head-to-heads, where people will play a lot of... Uh, well. You could just put in one lineup in 30 head-to-heads. Say you have your your bankroll only allows you to play, say, five 50/50s at the same buying level. Then maybe you want to play five different lineups because the difference in scoring is even if you have a, a score in the the 45th percentile, where that's going to win you 45% of your head-to-head games in a 50/50 or a double up, you're just going to lose all that money. Um, so whereas head-to-heads, you Generally want to play one, maybe two lineups. If you're playing just 50-50s or double-ups, you should be playing um, a different lineup in every single one or at least all every other uh, game that you enter. And that's just to to minimize that variance. Now, if your goal is just to maximize your upside, uh, go ahead and... Put one line up into a couple double ups, but know that that's a, a very high variance uh, strategy. And then for those newer players, I would encourage them to seek out either those single entry or small GPPs because you can still get a, a pretty good multiplier on your money without having to face 180,000 or half a million people in a tournament. And. To build on that, you're not going to be facing people that are putting in 150 lineups. It puts you on more of a even playing field. That's always what I'm trying to do. Whether I'm playing high stakes or low stakes, I want to be able to uh, max enter uh and play as many lineups as everyone else is playing. So my high stakes games, I'm usually playing single entry or three max. Cause I know nobody else is going to outline up me and I just want to be on that even playing field. So don't even just stay in that featured lobby. I'd, I'd encourage new players to look at those hundred man games. Cause you get that upside and you could at least get a little bit of a feel for entering more than one lineup without facing that massive field. So, uh, some other things to think about in game selection, which is obviously a big part of bankroll strategy.
0: Right, exactly. There's no correct, quote unquote, correct way to play your bankroll or the amount of lineups you're playing. Even it's just it really have has, you really have to suit it to your playing style. If you want to create 150 lineups in max enter tournaments, then then you should be playing with a whole type, different type of bankroll strategy than if you like to make one lineup and play mostly head to head. So um, the, you can kind of just tailor it to your playing style and what works for you. That's basically the bottom line. Like don't think you have to play a certain type of way. I know some people I see nowadays, they get too hung up on this 80, 20 rule in cash. And they, they feel like they have to make a cash lineup every week. And they have to play 80% of their money on cash. And they're going around and they're playing around with these, these bad lineups in cash. Cause they feel like it's a hard week to play cash, but yet they have to make this one cash lineup. And why would you put all that money on this one cash lineup? If you don't feel good about it and just make a bunch of lineups and put play in enter into 50 50s or you know t- Matt contest with larger um, max enters or something like that um, so I, I think you really have to kind of tailor it to to the week and and to to how you want to play but the, the biggest thing is just it, w- decide on a percentage that you want to play overall just so you as you're playing you're you're not really fluctuate you're not going to lose out on a big week or, or, or get hurt too much by a poor week because you keep shift, shifting your percentage but in terms of the allocation you can really kind of jump around with that and, and in terms of the amount of lineups you make you can also Jump around with that in a contest as well.
1: All that ties back into, uh, one thing people should always be doing is, is downloading their past data. And after a significant sample size, you should know your win rate both on what type of games you're playing and then on the sites and that should push you to uh, how you should allocate your funds and then uh, we do some stuff at 4 for 4 we, we post uh, best games to play each week we, we list all the featured games uh, on the main slate for both FanDuel and DraftKings that breaks down uh, the high variance the low variance GPPs and you can that really helps people instead of just looking at the lobby and kind of getting overwhelmed uh, we kind of outline that for you and then the physical act of entering lineups and not giving overextended i i have a bankroll schedule where i basically i all i do is plug in a number and it spits out exactly how much i should be playing based on what i think the right allocation is for that week uh in each game on each site and when you have that guide you don't have to worry about just kind of blindly clicking and all of a sudden oh shoot i'm playing 20 percent of my bankroll and 40 uh, 40% of its in gpps and i i think sometimes people do that because they don't have a a strategy in place so uh i encourage you guys to also just get a some kind of tracker where you can uh keep track of what you're entering as you enter the games uh, cuz that that can really get out of hand quick too
0: Yeah, this can be as simple as a spreadsheet, but uh, we're about to get out of here. Quickly, let's do some bold calls. TJ, what do you got for a game bold call?
1: Yeah, my my game bold call, it's a little bit of a stretch, but I I think there's a scenario where this happens. Denver-Buffalo is the lowest over-under of the week, but I'm going to say it goes way over, over 50 points. Uh, both of these teams are top seven in neutral pace right now. We've seen Denver's offense look very efficient so far this year uh, behind Trevor Simeon. And then look at the leverage scores, something very curious going on on 4 for 4. we got Tyrod, Charles Clay, LaShawn, all very high on our leverage scores. So uh, with that uh surprisingly fast pace for both teams, uh, I think this game could be a little bit higher scoring than people might expect.
0: I'm going to stay in that same kind of lane. I I think the uh, Browns Colts game will go over way. It will turn into a shootout. And I think sometimes you have shootouts happen because there are two good offenses. And sometimes you have them when there are just two bad defenses. And I think this is one of those cases. We know Cleveland, has been throwing deep a ton. The Colts have been solid against the run, but have been giving up a ton of deep production over 300 yards on passes 16 or more yards downfield over these two games. And Cleveland's been getting scraped by tight ends, and they they, they just it's, it's the, the talent just isn't the talent might be there, but it's, it's not. It hasn't come together yet for for the Browns. So I think these two teams, you know, people are gonna probably overlook them and see the two quarterbacks and kind of say, hey, there's no way, but. think two bad defenses and quarterbacks who will kind of take chances and go downfield and we know we know kaiser's going downfield and then we have the colts still have some weapons on offense Brissett, he's not been as terrible i think as people might think he's about i think 55 percent completions one pick through two games so i think that game could go way over turn into a shootout tj what about for your player both call
1: yeah, we, we didn't plan this, but it, it ties right into my player bold call. I think Deshaun Kaiser could be a top five fantasy quarterback this week. Uh, you mentioned this game could be a shootout. Uh, the Colts still don't have Vontae Davis and we know we saw it in week one. Kaiser's going to give you a little bit of that rushing upside. So I, I think he could, uh, put up really nice fantasy numbers top five this week.
0: For me, I'm going with the Patriots defense special teams is going to outscore. DeAndre Hopkins I love this one. I think Hopkins I think Hopkins will be a pretty popular play because he's got 29 targets but as we've seen from my research in the offseason in the DFS playbook uh, how to pick a wide receiver article that's up on four for four Right now in the DFS section, targets aren't really the end-all, be-all for wide receiver as much as as we think because there are so many different types of targets. And the same thing happened with Hopkins last season where he's a heavily targeted player or he's projected to be heavily targeted and he struggles. And this year he's got 128 yards and 29 targets. That's under five yards per target and Houston's averaging a league where it's 3.6 yards per play nuke in four games against the Patriots, no touchdowns under four catches per game. We know bill Belichick really likes to go and make you play left-handed, take out your top option. They're going to Foxborough There's been five games that New England has played at home since 2015 with a double-digit spread. They're favored by about 13 in this game. In five home games with a double-digit spread, the Patriots have allowed an average of 11.2 points while collecting 2.8 sacks and 2.4 takeaways. Per game, so I think New England's defense has that shutout upside. It has that takeaway upside. We we know if they get a takeaway, they could always could always get returned for a touchdown. I think they should have a higher scoring expectation than Hopkins uh, this week. Yeah, I like that call a lot. <laughs> um, so <laughs> that about does it for us. Remember, if you rate and review the podcast on iTunes and send a screenshot to DFS MVP at four 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 dot com. You can get twenty five percent off a four for four DFS subscription. Follow TJ Hernandez on Twitter at TJ Hernandez. Follow me on Twitter at Chris Rabon. We will be back in week four. Any last words, TJ? Flavor in your ear, sh money in your pocket. Let's get Let's this sh money. Oh, The crap, you bore me. Wanna grab my d- mic? Too lazy, hold it for uh. me. I'm straight, that great. Bust the head, straight, and dreads. I'm everlasting. Oh, yeah. Like it's so catch. A tech nine, when I rhyme, plus I climb, word well, is mine. Your album couldn't f- with one line. It's been three years since you last.